0: Let us pray. Lord, as your scriptures are read and proclaimed this day, we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit that our hearts, our minds, and our very lives may be transformed by your holy word. Thank you for your gift of scripture, we pray, amen. All right, last Sunday marked the end of a very important season. The NFL season is now over. <laughs> but do not fear. The 2024 season, if you count the, pre, the preseason, is going to begin in like four months, five months, right? Because it, it comes in August. How many of you watched the Super Bowl last week? How many of you stayed up to watch the very end of the Super Bowl? See... I'd always do that. I went to bed. I didn't care who won. The only thing I knew is I was getting cranky, and for everyone's best interest, I needed to go to sleep. It was the end of a season last week. But last Sunday wasn't just the end of the NFL season. It was the end of... A season in church life that we call ordinary time. Not because nothing goes on. There's always something going on in our church. Just ask Nancy, who has to type the bulletin. But ordinary in, in the sense of ordinal or time, right? First Sunday after the epiphany. Second Sunday after the epiphany. I, I, I don't think we write that in our bulletin anymore. Uh, I know growing up, I always thought that was funny. You know, it's the 32nd Sunday after epiphany or whatever. But last Sunday marked the end of that season. And today, we have entered into a new season. A season called Lent. Lent is a 40-day season in the life of the church in which we prepare ourselves spiritually, emotionally, mentally for Easter. It is that time in church life in which we as Christians think about what Jesus did for us. And we focus on that final 24 hours of Jesus' life. Perhaps the most important 24 hours in the history of the world. So over the next few weeks of Lent, we will be looking at that final 24 hours of Jesus's life from that intimate meal that he shared with his friends, the disciples that we call the Last Supper, through his death on the cross. We will be looking at that last day because it is only by looking at those final 24 hours of Jesus' earthly life can we fully understand and grasp the importance and the power of Easter morning. So today we are going to start at the beginning of that final, or final 24 hours of Jesus' life with the Last Supper. Jesus had arrived in Jerusalem uh, for the Passover uh, celebration. The Passover celebration is the biggest, most important celebration in the life of the Jewish faith. It is a remembrance of how God saved the Jewish people from captivity in Egypt. And Jesus and his disciples had walked uh, about 75 miles uh, from their home base in the Galilee to Jerusalem. When Jesus got to Jerusalem, he was greeted by some enthusiastic fans. Uh, he had a, a little tiff, if you will, at the temple where he saw people taking advantage of worshipers. And uh, he called a few people some Some names like a brood of vipers. Jesus healed while he was there, and he taught while he was there. As the week progressed, Jesus sent two of of his disciples on ahead of the group. He sent them on to find a place for them to to celebrate an important part of Passover, the Seder meal. Jesus and his 12 disciples gather in an upper room, the same room that just a short time in the future the disciples will be there and, and, and experience the coming of the Holy Spirit on what we call Pentecost. Jesus and his disciples gather in this room for this meal. Now, when we think of this meal, we often think of the uh, uh, picture of, of, uh, uh, of the last meal painted by Leonardo da Vinci. And you would be seeing that on the screen right now if I hadn't sent Brian the wrong picture. If you're wondering why you're looking at that picture, it's because I don't know what I'm doing. But we all know the picture that I'm talking about, don't we? And we, 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 we pictured Jesus and his disciples sitting at a table, of uh, course, in, in that particular painting, they're all sitting on one side of the table. Uh, my guess is it's because da Vinci didn't want to paint the back of somebody's head. But that's not really the way that the meal would have gone down. See, the way it would have worked is they would have been sitting at a, a, a table that was very low to the ground and then they there were mats or, or pillows around that table. And the way you ate during the time of Jesus is you would recline. And I would show it to you except I probably wouldn't be able to get back up off the ground. <clears throat> Some of you are, are, are like, man, I'd really like to see that. All right. Huh? <laughs> this one! <laughs> Thank you. Yes, that picture. Um, and, you know, they're sitting there in, in chairs. But... In, in reality, they were you know, leaning like this, and their feet would be out behind them and you would eat like this, which then explains the, the, the stories of, uh, of, of Jesus and, and uh, 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 the, the woman coming and, and, and washing his feet and putting you know, oil on it. Uh, well, she wasn't under the table. She was behind them, right? Their, their feet went this way. And Jesus would be sitting there, and that the person uh, uh, on, on this side right here would, would, would be the seat of honor, and this other side of him would also be a seat of honor. And if you remember, the, the disciples had an argument once as to who was going to be in the seats of honor next to Jesus. So it makes more sense now when we think about it that way. And the meal they were having, as I said, uh, was more than likely the Seder meal The the Seder meal contains uh, uh, symbolically important uh, food items. I I think we we had a Seder meal last uh, um, uh, year uh, during Holy Week. Um, And it it contained a a number of important items, such as bitter herbs, which uh, reminded uh, the um, uh, 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 Jewish uh, people of the bitterness that Their ancestors had experience in Egypt. Uh, They would uh, dip those herbs into salt water uh, to represent the tears of their ancestors. Uh, They ate this pureed apple mixture, uh, which um, um, looked like the mortar that the Israelites had made bricks for Pharaoh. I just have to stop there real quick because I do have a story about that uh, apple mixture. Uh, I, uh, I was at a church. We, we were doing a Seder meal. I didn't know what I was doing. I know. Imagine that. And it was my job to, to make that apple uh, mixture. And part of it is you mix up you know the, the apples and the nuts and stuff, and then you put wine on it. Well, I didn't know anything about wine. And I didn't know how much to use. It didn't say in the instructions I was given, so I put all of that in a big old mixing bowl, and then I took two bottles of wine and just emptied them into the mixing bowl and stirred it, put a, some, some plastic over it, sat it in the church refrigerator, and the church ladies came over to get ready, and they opened up the top, and they go, oh my goodness, Pastor Rick, what did you do? And I said, I don't know, well, I, I, I made the, the, uh, the, the apple stuff. And they're like, the apples are floating in wine. And they literally had to strain them before they served it. But you know what? Nobody complained. They Also, uh, uh, an egg is served as a symbol of new birth, new life, which is very similar to the reason we have eggs at Easter. Uh, And then... uh, The unleavened bread, which is a reminder of the haste in which the Israelites escaped from Egypt. There would then be a lamb, and the way it would work is you would buy a lamb, and uh, Jesus sent uh, two of his disciples to the temple. Uh, You would take the lamb, you would present it to God. The priests would then kill the lamb and slaughter it and then take, take a small portion of that uh, as your, your uh, offering to God, give you the, the remaining part of that lamb, and you would then come back and cook that, and that would be your meat um, uh, for the meal. And it reminded the people of the, the, the blood of, of, of the lamb, that was used during the original Passover where the Israelites took the blood and put it over their doorpost, so the angel of death would pass them over, if you remember that story from Exodus. And then there would be four small cups of wine, a reminder of God's four promises to redeem the Israelites in, in Exodus 6. This was an important meal. It was a festive meal. It was a time of eating, a time of reflection, and a time in which one is just happy to be with those they love. And it was during this meal that Jesus said something that was so provocative. It it shook the disciples to their core. He said, Truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me, one of you who is eating with me right now. And all the disciples said, surely not me, Jesus. You don't mean I'm going to betray you. Jesus, Jesus simply said, one of you who is eating with me now, who is dipping the bread into the wine with me now will betray me. When I think of this part of the story, I am reminded of how I have betrayed Jesus. I think we've all betrayed Jesus in one way or another, in our attitudes, in our actions, But, you know, it can be comforting to think that, oh, it wasn't my sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. But you know what? It is. It is. It was my sin that nailed Jesus to that cross It was my sin that Jesus died for. It was my sin that Jesus was thinking of as he hung there and died. It was my sin that Jesus was willing to pay the ultimate price to forgive. And as we partake in this holy meal in just a couple of moments, let us never forget that. That what we are commemorating, what we are participating in, once again, is the meal in which we acknowledge that Jesus died for our sin. That Jesus died for us. He died not for sin in some abstract form. Jesus died for my sin. What I do. How I hurt others. How I hurt God. You know, Jesus transformed this meal that we are talking about this day into our story. Because as that meal became our Holy Communion, it has caused us, each time we partake of it, to remember that someone saved us. It causes us to realize that Our freedom has come at a cost, and it helps us to understand that God, walking in human flesh, flesh, suffered and died for us. My friends, as we partake in Holy Communion, let us never forget that it is a reminder of a real meal that occurred so long ago. It's a reminder of God's love for us. It is a reminder of Jesus' sacrifice for us. And it is a reminder that through Jesus, through his death and resurrection, our sins have been forgiven and we have hope of new life right here, right now, and the life to come. The final 24 hours of Jesus' life began with a meal. Our new life can also begin with a meal if we but open our hearts to its meaning, to its power, and to the Spirit of God that is here with us this day, Let us pray. Lord, as we prepare to take holy communion this day allow your spirit to open our hearts to its true meaning not just a ritual that we and the church have done for 2000 years but as a way of both commemorating and participating in <clears> the <throat> transformation that you caused in the world, the forgiveness of our sins, the hope. So Lord, allow this to be a special time in our lives. Thank you for dying for us. Amen.